Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. <clears throat> and also 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. We'll get into that later on. But first of all, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. We have two texts today. We're now in part 6 of this series this stewardship series that I'm calling It's All His. Everyone say that. Now, I want to say together the definition of stewardship. Let's make it personal. Let's all say it together. Here we go. It's the practice of managing properly all that God has entrusted to me. And the key verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, we should know this, the key verse of this series. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, say trust, must prove faithful. Say faithful. So far, we have focused on our treasures. Say treasures. Understand the importance of giving, the importance of tithing. And then we focused on our time. Say time. Uh, how we use and, and how we manage our time. And then we focused on our talents. Say talents. Uh, serving and using our talents and our gifts and abilities to strengthen the body of Christ and to advance his kingdom. And last Sunday, our focus was on our testimony. Say testimony. Uh, being a good witness, living out our faith, sharing our faith. Uh, today's focus is going to be on our temple. Say temple. Uh, being good stewards of our bodies. Our bodies. The title of my message today is Honoring God with My Body. Everyone say that. Now, I think as Christians, we tend to ignore the importance of the body as though the body doesn't matter. And friends, we're all good about hearing sermons about our mind, about our soul, about emotions, about our will, but we, we have an issue about our bodies. We don't like hearing sermons about our bodies. And the problem with most of us is that we have an attitude problem with our bodies. Some of us, we reject it. We don't like our bodies, so we reject it. Some of us neglect it. We don't take care of it. And some of us go to the extreme and try to perfect it. And we spend all our time on our body physically and working out, which is a good thing, but if it's, you become obsessed, it's a bad thing. Are you guys with me? Listen, taking care of our bodies, okay, is an issue of spiritual stewardship. In fact, friends, one, one day you and I will give an account for how we, or how well, should I say, we manage everything that God has given to us, including our bodies. Say our bodies. Now, I want to show you, first of all, the importance of the body. So fill in the blank. Here we go. First of all, we were created by God. Say that. Write that in, in that blank there. We, we were created by God. Psalm 139 uh, verses 13 through 15, my wife quoted this in her presentation of the sanctity of human life. It says, for you were created in, you created, excuse me, you created my inmost being, love that, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together, love that, in the depths of the earth. This is because God created my body, my body belongs to him. 
And because my body belongs to him, get this now, God owns my body. Right? And we're going to focus more on this later. So we were created by God. The next villain is the incarnation. The incarnation. This is the importance of the body, the incarnation. Now, God could have simply, friends, saved people by just decreeing salvation from heaven, right? But he didn't. He didn't. Instead, he came to this earth as a human being in a human body. Say say human body. And experienced all the bodily things that you and I, that we experience, such as hunger and and thirst, uh, tiredness, pain, and, and ultimately death. In fact, in God's plan of salvation, he couldn't bear our sins except by taking them unto himself bodily on the cross. So we were created by God, the incarnation. The next one is the resurrection. Say that. Write that down, the resurrection. And after the resurrection, we know this, right? Jesus wasn't, wasn't merely a ghost, but he had a real body. Say, say real body. And, and we... One day we'll have real bodies in the resurrection. If you're saved, say amen. Because when we die, our soul goes to heaven. We know that when we die, our soul goes to heaven. But one day, say one day, when Jesus comes back, that's the rapture. Okay, our souls will be, listen now, outfitted with a glorified body that is perfectly adjusted to eternity. Amen? So all of that supports the idea that our body is important to God. Now, now, before we get into the text, I want us to understand the context of the text, okay? And in this chapter, chapter 6, Paul is dealing with two sins, two sins plaguing the Corinthian church. And the first one was lawsuits. Write that down, say lawsuits. And some Christians in Corinth are taking fellow believers to court before pagan judges to settle petty matters. And what Paul does is he condemns this action on two accounts. First of all, that it's illogical. And that's in verses 2 through 5. And also it's illegal in verses 7 through 8. So the first sin plaguing the Corinthian church is lawsuits. The second sin plaguing the Corinthian church is lasciviousness. Lasciviousness. That means lewd or, or lustful, suggestive or naughty. And so what Paul does, Paul warns them to control their bodies in all areas. So with that being said, I want to share two points with you from, one from each text here. And the first one, if you're ready, say yes, is sexual matters. Everyone say that. Write that down, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 10. And here what God does, God condemns sexual sins. And Paul names some of them, and so let's go ahead and let's read this, the text. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. So he's, he points out there that sensuality and idolatry went together. Then he goes on to say, nor adulterers, which speaks of extramarital affairs, And we'll see later in the text that Paul points out the sins of fornication. The sin of fornication is sex outside of marriage. If you're with me so far, say amen. Let's read on. He says, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. So those two describe the, the passive 
and active partners in a homosexual relationship. In fact, for Paul, what he does, he dealt with this and lesbianism in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Go home and read that. Then in verse 10, he says this, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So what he's saying, those who practice, okay, practice that lifestyle, those sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's very plain, friends. If you're with me, say amen. Now, what I love about God is that he can cleanse sexual sin. He's God, right? He can cleanse sexual sin and make sinners into a new creation. Now, look at verse 11 with me, okay? And that is what some of you were. In context, and that is what some of you were. In other words, you can change. You can change. Amen? And that is what some of you, the list of those sins, the list of those lifestyles, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed. Gosh, I love that. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. These tenses of these verbs indicate a complete transaction. Now write this down. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, we know this, right? He or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So you can change. God can change you. Amen? Now the Corinthians had two arguments to defend their sensuality. The first argument is in verse 12. Look at verse 12. And this is what they said. Everything is permissible for me. But Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is helpful. And they say, everything is permissible for me. But Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. And this was a, a popular phrase in Corinth based on a false view of Christian freedom. Now remember, Paul is speaking in terms of sexual immorality here. And what he's saying to the Corinthians is, is, he's saying this, is sexual immorality helpful for you? Is it? And he's saying, no, it's harmful for you or to you. And if you get involved in anything that enslaves you or controls you, it's wrong. If it controls you, then it's harmful. Now listen, friends, in, in terms of our Christian freedom, as Christians, we have Christian freedom. Certain freedoms that we have as believers, okay? And in those freedoms, we need to ask ourselves, is it helpful? Does it enslave me? Does it control me? Does it push me toward my goal in Christ or away from Christ? And will it bring others closer to Christ or away from Christ? When it comes to our Christian freedoms, we need to ask ourselves those questions. Now notice the second argument in verse 13a. It says food for the stomach and the stomach for food. That was a popular Greek proverb that was used to apply to their sexual appetite. In other words, it was like, hey, you know, the stomach was created for food and that's why it's there. And God created my stomach for food, just like my body, and he created my body for pleasure, he created my body for sexual activity. And they treated sex as an appetite to be satisfied and not as a gift to be cherished. 
and used carefully. Now listen, sensuality is to sex what gluttony is to eating. And both are sinful and both bring tremendous consequences. So Paul answers them in verse 13b, but God will destroy them both. When Paul's saying, he's saying this, these earthly bodies of ours, they are temporal. And whether for eating or sexual activity, they're only temporary. Now what Paul does is he answers their question by correcting their perspective. And the first way he corrects their perspective, look at verse 13c, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. That's the word there, porneia. Porneia. It means fornication. Sex outside of marriage. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. See, for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. In other words, you're a creation of God. And your bodies are for him to what? To glorify him. And we'll see this later on, and that's how Paul ends the chapter, that we are, our bodies are meant to glorify God. Paul then, what he does, he brings up the resurrection. In verse 14, he says, By his power God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise what? Us also. Good place to say amen. In other words, this is what he's saying. If you consider the origin of your body, that God created it, right? And the future of your body, you'll be resurrected in glory, right? Then why would we want to defile it? Listen, sex outside of marriage is destructive. Sex within marriage is constructive, it's beautiful, and it's creative. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, there may be excitement and enjoyment in sexual experience outside of marriage, but there is not enrichment. Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it's not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a, a person putting money into a bank. There is safety and security, and he will collect dividends. Sex within marriage can build a relationship that brings joy in the future. But sex apart from marriage has a way of weakening future relationships. And he goes on to say, as every Christian counselor will tell you. So the first way Paul corrects the perspective is, you're a creation of God. God created you. Now notice the second way Paul corrects their perspective. He says, you're members of Christ. Look at verses 15 through 17. If you're still with me, say amen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Notice what he says. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Now notice he says in the beginning of verse 15, do you not know? In other words, they should know this. Then he says again, verse 16, do you not know? In other words, you should know this. That he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? And what Paul does, then he quotes Genesis 2.24, for it is said, the two will become what? One flesh. Verse 17, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So Paul's point here, in other words, Paul's correction to the church in Corinth is this. It is Absolutely, what he's saying, it's absolutely inconsistent for you, Christ, you Corinthian Christians to feel the freedom to go to the temple of Aphrodite 
to support their idolatry and join yourself to a prostitute committing fornication. In other words, how can you be joined to Christ and to sin at the same time? Can't. Can't. Look at verse 18a. I love this. Flee from sexual immorality, pornea, fornication. In other words, run. Run. You don't, you don't entertain it. You don't hang around it. You run. You flee. Write this down, 1 Corinthians 7, 2. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. But since there is so much immorality, pornea, fornication, each man, this is what it says, each man, say man, should have his own wife, say wife. And each woman, say woman, her own husband, say husband. Are you guys getting this? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It is God's will, whose will? That you should be sanctified, in other words, set apart, that you should avoid sexual immorality, avoid fornication. Remember Joseph? In Genesis 39, 12 through 18, Joseph was a servant in Potiphar's house, and Joseph, it said, was a very handsome man. And as he was attending to the duties there in Potiphar's home, Potiphar's wife had the hots for him. She thought he was hot. <clears throat> and so several times she tried to get him to bed, and finally she, she grabbed his cloak and said, come to bed with me. And the word of God says that he ran, fled, ran like the wind, and left his cloak there. And I love that about it. Why do you do that? Why? Because he wanted to honor God. Could have stayed. Could engage in premarital sex, fornication, in that case, adultery, part of his wife, okay, but didn't. He fled. He ran like the wood. He left his cloak. He didn't even go back for his cloak, <laughs> right? So he did that because he wanted to honor God. Are you guys with me? Look at verse 18b. All, you got to get this, got to get this. All other sins a man commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Why? Why does it say that? Why? Because sexual sin is the most serious sin. The most serious sin a person can commit against his or her own body. Why? Because it involves the whole person. It has consequences in the total personality. It can cause guilt. It can cause shame. Its misuse corrupts at the deepest level, not to mention physical consequences such as STDs. Ever think about that? Huh? Now notice the third way Paul corrects their perspective. Look at verse 19. Do you not know that your body, here we go, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now I want to stop there. Because a temple is not an object of worship, it's a place of worship. And since the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and since our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, then we must make it a worthy temple to God. To God. So ultimately, what we do with our bodies and what we do to our bodies, get this now, reveals what we really think of God himself. Okay? Listen, we don't, we don't, we don't go to church. We don't come to church. We are the church. God lives inside of us. We're God's temple. God's temple, right? 
The temple of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's amazing. That the God, God himself, through his spirit, lives inside of us. Now let's read on. Well, well let's read from verse 19. Do you, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. Now listen, since the Holy Spirit is in us, we can never, listen now, go any place apart from the presence of God. And we, we may close doors, we may pull down shades, we may turn off the lights, but the Holy Spirit is still present and we cannot escape His presence nor His conviction. So since the Holy Spirit indwells us, we ought to be very, very, very careful about desecrating or defiling the temple of God. Now I want you to follow me here. Whenever a Christian, I'm talking about Christians here, okay, involves himself or herself in premarital sex or extramarital affair, he or she desecrates God's temple. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Since the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, right, right? If you're saved, the Spirit of God lives inside of you, right? Question, how are you treating him? How are you treating the Spirit of God that is living inside of you? He's not an occasional guest. He's a permanent resident. How are you treating the one that lives inside of you? How are you treating him? Does he feel at home in your body? Does he? Does he feel at home in your thoughts? Does he feel at home in your conversations? Does he feel at home with the people you associate with? Does he feel at home the places where you go, with the things that you watch, with your Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram? Does he feel at home with your activities through the day and through the night? Does he? Should. And if he doesn't, we got to get it right. Let's read on. You are not your own. Underline that, circle that, highlight that. You are not your own. Hey, since God created you, guess what? He owns you. Come on, he owns you, right? Okay, your body is not yours. Your body is on loan from him. And he wants to see what you're going to do with it and how you're going to treat the body he's given you. God wants you to make your body a worthy temple, a worthy temple. Now, we know what our culture says, right? Our culture says, well, you know what? It's my body, and I can do whatever I want with my body. But God says, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong, okay? It's not your body because you didn't create it. God says, I created your body. I loaned it to you to live in it while I put you on this earth, and I will expect you to take care of what I created. It's not your body. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, it's not your body. It's God's body. Say, it's God's body. He created, not you, right? Now, the Christian says, the Christian says, my body belongs to God, and I will do what he wants me to do with it. I will honor God with my body. So God created our bodies, right? God owns our bodies, right? Guess what? He also bought and paid for our bodies. Verse 20. Here we go. Verse 20. You were bought at a price. 
How much did it cost him? Think about it. How much did it cost him? How much was that price, including your body? How much was that price? Hmm? How much was it to save you to get you to heaven? How much did it cost him? Cost him his son's blood. He paid for your life with his life. How awesome is that? He paid for my life with his life. Now, when I think about that, I think about that, I'm going to want to take care of my body. I'm going to honor God with my body, knowing that he died for me. So you are bought at a price. Then it says, therefore. Keyword there, say therefore. In other words, here's the main thrust, man. Here it is. Here's the main thrust. Here's the big lesson of the text. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's it. The whole purpose of salvation, the indwelling Holy Spirit, is that we might honor and glorify God with our bodies. We are redeemed people, right? If you're redeemed, say amen. Therefore, we should put away from any thought of sexual immorality, which would bring discredit upon God, okay? Walk away away from things that defile our bodies and ruin our testimonies before others. God is not honored with steeples. He's not honored with stained glass windows or beautiful buildings, but he's honored by the right use of our bodies. Huh? Philippians 1.20, gosh, I love this. Paul writes, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. How, how amazing is that? Huh? I mean, shouldn't that be our prayer? Shouldn't that be one of our life's verses that God would be exalted, glorified in my body? If you're saved, say amen. amen. My body, your body ought to be a vessel, an instrument, a tool, friends, to be used by God for his glory. Glory. Romans 6.13, love this. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. That you and I would say, here's my body, Lord, here's my body. I'm yours, okay? Use me as an instrument of righteousness. Not unrighteousness, not wickedness, but righteousness. I'm yours. Use me as you want. Lord, use me as you please. I want to glorify you in all that I do in my body and with my body. Now, if you're married, say amen. Boy, you're really excited about being married. If you're married, say amen. Amen. Then yield your body to God. And say, Lord, in my marriage, I want to glorify you. If you're single, say amen then yield your body to God and say, Lord, I want to glorify you. In my singleness, glorify you, my body. See, the bottom line is this. God's intention is simple, very simple. Stay pure until you're married and stay married until you're dead. I'm going to say it again. You got to write it down. Stay pure until you're married and stay married until you're dead. Isn't that good? Okay, right? Now, I know, some fo- I know some Christians who are living together. They're not married, and they're living together. And the people living together first are more apt to fail in their marriage than couples who move in after marriage. Studies based on 50 years of data show that couples who live together before marriage have a 50% greater chance of divorce 
than those who don't. Listen, friends, I love you with all my heart, but living together is a violation against God's word. And it will undermine any future relationships that you want to have. So I'm telling you, if, if, you're, if you're having sex outside of marriage, if you're fornicating, stop it. Stop it. Stop the hanky-panky. Stop it. It's a violation against God's word. And I, I hear people all the time, well, you know, Pastor, we feel God's okay with us living together and having sex because, after all, we love each other. Where do you find that in the Bible? Because it's not there. And I live by this. Hey, if you're living together and you love each other and you want to honor God, move out. Get it right. And I'll marry you. I'll do your wedding vows. We have a couple that I'm going to marry next Sunday at 4 o'clock here because they want to get it right, okay? Just do the right thing, man, okay? All right? And if the guy says, well, you know what? If we can't live together, I don't, I don't want to be with you. Well, that tells you right there. I'll help you pack his bags for you. <laughs> I will. Call me. I'll be there. <laughs> Are you guys with me? Write this down, Ephesians 5.3. Ephesians 5.3. This is what it says. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. Or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Let's be honest, if there's one area where our bodies are screaming out for us to disobey God, it's in the area of sex. Let's be honest. That being said, I want to give you nine ways. So this is a very, I was trying to be creative with this message, okay? I'm going to give you nine ways that will help you avoid sexual immorality. Are you ready? Say yes. Here we go. Here we go. Fill in the blank. Guard my mind. The battle, listen now. The battle begins in the mind. Yeah? The battle begins in the mind. You need to be careful what you fill your mind with. Listen now. Imagination is often the hotbed where sin is often hatched. Now, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can't keep them from making the nest. Yeah? Don't allow your mind, listen now, don't allow your mind to go places you don't want your body to go. Now, I want you to write this down, Matthew 5, 28. Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What gets us in trouble is a second look. Okay? This one guy was trying to be creative. Well, I'd just take one long look. The second look gets us in trouble. Look away. Look away. Look away. Amen? Guard my mind. Say that. Next one is pray daily. 
Pray daily. Depend on the power of God's Holy Spirit to strengthen you in this battle. Huh? Yeah? Hey, wherever you go, there's temptation. Okay? To pray, Lord, help me not to be tempted, that's an unanswerable prayer. Okay? But to pray, Lord, help me not to fall into temptation, you can answer that prayer. But you, you listen, you need to pray. Be prayed up. Okay? Daily. It says, what? Pray what? Not, 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 not just on Sundays. Not just, you know, when you feel like you're in the battle. No, no. Pray daily. First thing in the morning. Pray daily. Lord, I, I pray that you equip me. Give me the strength to deal with all the temptation that's out there. Give me the strength to say no to those things. That I'd be wise to not put myself in situations or positions that, that cause me to compromise my, my beliefs. Pray daily. Say that. How about this? It goes right into this. Don't put myself in situations where I will be easily tempted. If the internet, magazines, TV, Facebook, or Instagram is causing you to sin, cut it loose. Cut it loose. Unfollow people, listen now, who are posting explicit photos. Unfollow them. Yeah? And if, it's, and if you're dating, don't put yourself in positions or places where you're alone. Make sure you're around people that will keep you accountable. Amen? Make sure there are people that will keep you accountable. Also, i got to say this. If the people you're hanging out with are causing you to sin, cut them loose. Cut them loose. You need to set some boundaries. Boundaries are good. Okay, you know, what you know what your temptation is? Set those boundaries and don't cross those boundaries. That's why they're called boundaries. Right? To keep you from going on that other side. Amen? Here we go, here we go. Remember, God is watching. You're, you are never completely out of sight. Sometimes we think we are, huh? And no one's watching. Well, guess what? God is. Someone's always watching, that's God. Here we go, here we go. Find an accountability partner and find one of the opposite sex. Guys, don't go and say, hey, lady, uh, you want to be an accountability partner? No, 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 that don't work. That don't work. Okay, guys, find a guy, women, find women. Got it? Got it? Okay? You, you cannot fight this alone. Okay, you, you need God's help and you need God's people to help you too. Find someone you trust. Find someone who's walking right with God. Find someone you can trust and share your struggles with. Okay? That's one. Here we go. Be careful what I wear. Modesty is good for you. Modesty is good for others. Yeah? Be careful what I wear. By the way, when, when you're getting dressed, the great, great thing to say is, would Jesus approve of this? And if, you have, if you've got to question it, then that means... Here we go. Remember, Jesus is coming back. Because all of us, we will all have to give an account for our lives, even our sex life. He's going to come back someday, right? And I love this one. Here we go. This is a good one, right? Forgiveness is available. Okay? If, not if, but when, because we all sin, we will hopefully just if you sin sexually, you can still be forgiven. So repent, turn back to God, and live for Him. And this is the one I love. This is very important. Is 
daily yield my body to God. Daily yield my body to God. Romans 12, 1, we know this right. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? Living, come on, living what? Sacrifices, not dead, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is what? Your spiritual act of worship. So we do this by daily yielding our bodies to God, coming before Him, daily coming before Him, saying, God, I offer my body to you as a living sacrifice. I'm placing my body on the altar. I'm not going to let myself crawl off the altar. I'm going to stay there. I'm offering my body to you as a living sacrifice. Show me how I should dress. Show me how I should treat my body. Give me the strength, Lord, to keep my body sexually pure. Show me, Lord, and guide me so that my body would be an instrument of righteousness, not wickedness or unrighteousness. And Lord, I offer my body to you as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, that I might glorify and honor you in my body. Daily yield my body to God. This is why it's important for you to have a quiet time with God. First thing in the morning, I do first thing in the morning. And Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to yield my body to you, okay, daily. We might have to do this three times throughout the day, right? Kind of recalibrate ourselves. Maybe at noon, I don't know. But Lord... When you're in a situation, Lord, I need to, need to yield myself, my body, to you. If you got it, say so got it. Point number two, here we go. It's physical matters. We, we, we touched all about sexual matters. I'm going to talk about physical matters. And then I want you to turn, if you, if you can, you don't have to, or you can write it down, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Timothy 4, 8. The sound of pages turning is music to God's ears. And Paul writes, for physical training is of some value, right? But godliness, a godliness, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So in context, in context, this is talking about the importance of you in spiritual development and discipleship as work. In that discipleship takes as much training and work as physical training. So Paul is saying for physical training is of some value. So it has value, right? I want to read to you something that I found on ECLEA resources, and it says this. There is an intimate connection between our physical condition and our mental, emotional, and spiritual condition. Every person consists of a number of different aspects or facets. They include the physical, cognitive, emotional, social, behavioral, and spiritual. However, we cannot be divided up into these different aspects. In other words, we are not 10% body, 20% mind, 30% behavioral. Etc. Instead, all of our aspects are blended together to create one whole person. Because of this, our physical condition affects everything about us. If our bodies are ill or run down, we cannot function well spiritually, socially, cognitively, behaviorally, or emotionally. Our bodies are important, and we all know it, particularly when we get sick. When we're really sick, then all we do is focus on our bodies. True? True. If our body is weak, out of condition, tired, poisoned by bad food and drink, sick, sick because we have not taken care, proper care of it, 
Then our minds, so he says, then our minds will not be sharp as we study the word of God. And we cannot serve God well, and we can't relate well to other people. So the physical condition of our bodies has spiritual implications. Simple terms is this. It's hard to be spiritually sharp when you're physically dull, when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you're out of shape. So real quickly here, how can I have a healthy lifestyle? Here we go. Point number one. Here we go. Here we go. Maintain ideal weight. Maintain ideal weight. Everyone has an ideal weight. And your ideal weight is based on your bone structure and your height. You know what the problem is? The problem is with us, let's be honest, is, is we, want to look, we want to look like the guy or the gal on TV or on YouTube or in some magazine. You know, with ripped abs, no love handles, not an ounce of fat, no bulges. And what we do is we compare ourselves with them or to them, and we want to look just like them when our body structure is totally different than theirs. By the way, when you see celebrities, okay, they look great. Why? Because they have the money for facelifts, tummy tucks, breast implants, and liposuction. And not to mention, friends, what, what you can do with computers, right? You can take a photo, a picture, Photoshop it, digitally enhance it. And so that's why they look so perfect, right? Well, I want to tell you, God is not asking for perfection. God is asking for self-control. God's asking for being disciplined in self-control. Now, is it easy? Nope. But it's biblical, it's beneficial, and it's worth it. So, so, so follow me here. To be disciplined in self-control, we need to control the quantity and quality of our food intake. Okay, going back to the first text of our message today, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, stomach for the food, but God will eventually destroy them both. Remember that? So in a nutshell, don't let food master you. You got it, say got it. Listen, church, we eat to live, not live to eat. Now, I, I want you to hear my heart. I, I don't want to take out all the fun of eating, okay? okay? But be very careful how much you eat, how much you eat, and what you put into your body. Now, we can all, all of us, we can all eat a lot healthier. I can. I can eat a lot healthier, okay? But I got to tell you, it's expensive to eat healthy. Not to mention it's, it tastes very good. <laughs> you know, okay? Just being honest. I try it. It's hard, okay? But I, I enjoy eating. Uh, my, my, the highlight of my day is lunchtime. By 11.30, I'm ready to eat. And I just enjoy lunch. So I enjoy eating. What I do, tell me what I, let me tell you what I do. I do what I call portion control. I, I put on my plate what I can eat, not more than that. Okay? And so when I put that on my plate, I eat it. But let me say this. Also what I do is, is I stop when I get full. Okay? When I, when, I, when I get full, I stop. It's a discipline. Okay? Right? So, you, you know, when you're, when you're grubbing and you're eating, you're tearing it up, right? Okay, and you're just loving it, right? And then, and then you know, when you, when you get full, you know, you know that feeling? Huh? Okay, and some of you don't stop there. Because you're like, oh, I want some more. And then you start eating more, and then you get fuller, 
And then you're like, oh, man, I'm ready for a nip, dude. You know? You're just like sluggish, right? Okay. Well, you know that feeling before you want to eat more where you got full? Remember that feeling? God put that there for a reason. To stop. <laughs> Seriously. To stop. Okay? So when you get full, this is what I do. When I get full, it's, it, hey, it's a discipline. Especially when the food is really, really good. I just push it aside and I stop. And I put the rest, if I'm in a restaurant and the cart to go, if I'm home, I just put it away. That's what I do. Another thing I do is I watch my carb and my sugar intake. Okay, those are the two biggest enemies of weight gain is carbs and sugar intake. Not saying you have to cut all of them out, but cut some of them out. That's what I do. Okay, got it? So something that I do, you don't have to do it, but just, you know, again, when you're full, stop. Now I got to say this because this is important. Just because a person's thin doesn't mean they're healthy. And sometimes we look at someone who's thin or, you know, man, they're healthy. That's not necessarily true. I know some not-so-thin people who are healthy. And you wouldn't think it, but they're healthy. Blood pressure's great, okay? Cholesterol is great, all that. So be very careful when you look at someone and prejudge them. Are you with me? Okay? So maintain your ideal weight. It's your weight. Maintain it. God, next thing we go, we're going right into this exercise. Oh, man, here we go. Exercise. Say that. Some of you are so tired, you can't even say exercise. Okay? Now, now, I believe that most of us, I believe that most of us, believe most of us are convinced that we need to exercise, but we're not committed to it. Yeah? The text says physical training has some value, Right? So what does Pastor Arnold do? Well, I run three and a half miles, four days a week. I do light lifting, a lot of pull-ups, sit-ups, and push-ups. That's what I do. But let me tell you something. I'm committed to that. It's a discipline. There are days I don't want to do it. There's days I don't, I'm up at 5.30 ready, ready to hit the road. I don't want to do it. But I'll tell you, those are the best times when I get the best workouts when I don't want to do it. But I'll tell you right now, it's a commitment. I've been doing this all my life. It's a commitment. You got to stick with it. Are you guys with me? Now, you, you know you're out of shape when you see people running and you hope they twist an ankle. You know you're out of shape when you pull a muscle watching the, the Boston Marathon. You know you're out of shape when your knees buckle and your belt won't. You know you're out of shape when your chin was your best feature and now it's a double feature. <laughs> I just thought I'd make you guys laugh today, okay? All right? But no, seriously, start, start by committing yourself to a daily exercise program today, tomorrow. 30 minutes, 30 minutes of physical activity four days a week. That's it. Okay, what, what can it be? It could be walking. Walking's great for you. It's, it's, it's not hard on your joints, right? Walking's great. Hiking's great. I, I, don't, I don't walk. I don't hike. I, I, I just, it's just too boring for me, okay? But it's excellent. It's excellent. Walking, hiking, uh, running, that's what I do, running, I love to run, okay? Um, it's my most awesome times talking to God. Okay? If you have a lot of money, then buy a Peloton exercise machine, okay? They're expensive, but whatever it might be, I don't know, okay? Now, I know you're probably thinking, you're probably thinking, well, you know what, Pastor, I'd love to exercise, but I really don't have the time. Let me ask you this, do you have the time to get sick? Huh? Find time to exercise. So, Maintain ideal weight, exercise. Here we go, rest. Everyone say, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Yeah, now we're getting spiritual, right? Right, praise the Lord. Resting is one of the most spiritual things that you can do, friends. In fact, God felt that resting was so important that he himself rested on the seventh day. Now, did God need to rest? No. God doesn't get tired. He rested to set an example for you and I. And not only that, friends, but guess what? Guess what, okay? He also included rest in the Ten Commandments. So get your rest. Get your rest, okay? Psalm 127.2 says this, In vain you rise up early and stay up late. In vain you rise up early and stay up late. Question, how many of you are living in vain? Huh? Where you get up early and you stay up late. Ten out of ten times, if you do that ten out of ten times, you will wake up feeling terrible. You will, listen now, you, it, that, that will take a toll on your life, on your body. You ever try praying when you're tired? You make no sense. <laughs> I, it was a, years, years ago, years ago, I learned my lesson, man. I was, I was tired and you and I, we prayed before we go to bed and you know, I was praying and I just started praying and I, was, I just, I don't know what I was saying. I said, Lord, I'm going to change the oil in the car and then who goes, what are you talking about, dude? What are you saying? I was totally lost. I was so tired. I couldn't even pray right. We should be rested and alert when we pray. Yeah? Huh? And when you get your rest, why? Because you feel alert. You feel sharper, productive, and healthier. Right? And this is the deal. When you're healthier, you can serve God better. Right? You can serve God better. Okay? The last one is, here we go, avoid vices. Avoid vices. Now, now I'm just going to read to you. I did some research. And I'm just going to read to you the facts. Okay? Okay? The facts. Cigarettes. Causes heart disease, stroke, and lung cancer. Facts. How about this? Vaping. Vaping causes gum disease, gum recession, weakens the immune system, and causes severe lung disease. How about this? Marijuana, weed, whatever you want to call it, affects your mental health, can cause depression, paranoia, Affects your motor skills, memory, learning, increases your heart rate, reduces bone density, and affects the lungs. It causes heavy coughing. How about this? Alcohol. Did you know that alcoholism is now the third greatest health problem in America next to heart disease and cancer? Alcohol affects the brain, the heart, the pancreas, and the liver. In fact, friends, cirrhosis of the liver is the number one fastest growing disease in America. Also, it can affect your immune system and causes weight gain. One more I'm going to give to you, and we, we don't think about this one as advice, is unforgiveness and bitterness. Our emotions have a tremendous effect on our physical health. Withholding forgiveness, being bitter and resentful towards others actually makes you sick. It causes stress. It causes anxiety. It causes depression, anger. It causes high blood pressure. It will eat you up from the inside out. On the other hand, 
Forgiveness, say that. Say forgiveness improves your health. John Hopkins Medicine Research says this. Forgiving others will improve your health. It can lower the risk of heart attack, improves cholesterol levels, improves sleep, improves immune system, and reduces pain, reduces blood pressure, levels of anxiety, reduces depression and stress. So with that being said, question, who do you need to forgive? Hey, I'm going to tell you something, okay? When someone hurts you badly, it's hard to forgive. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. But we must forgive. Who do you need to forgive? I got to tell you, man, you know, we, it was a while back, I was very, very unforgiving and bitter towards someone who hurt me. And God dealt with my heart. And I was not physically well. And when I released it to God, I felt freedom in my life. Who do you? And we can sit here and just, well, but God, they did this, and God, you know, this and that. No. The Christian thing to do is to forgive. Why are you holding on to it? Who do you need to forgive? Unforgiveness affects you physically, but also affects you spiritually. It hinders your spiritual growth and fruitfulness because it builds a wall between you and God. Let it go, man. Seriously, let it go. Quit letting unforgiveness have its way in your life. So who do you need to forgive? I want you to close your eyes right now. We're not, we're not done yet. Just close your eyes. Who is it in your life? Who is it that hurt you that you need to forgive? And I'd ask you right now, just in your quiet moment with God in your heart, just forgive them, release them to God and say, Lord, I, I forgive them. I forgive them, Lord. And look at me. You're liberated now. Amen. He wants you to be free. So we're going to just wrap this up. Just, let's just close now because I think I said too much. If you're saved, say amen. amen. And honor God with your body. If you're a believer, listen, if you're a believer and you're not married, stay pure before marriage. Quit the fornication, quit the sex. And I guarantee you, when you do that, God's going to bless you for doing that. If you're married, stay pure. In other words, have sex with your spouse and your spouse only. Amen? So honor God with your body. Be careful what it does and be careful where it goes. So I'll stand.